Hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to another segment of verse of the day, which says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is one of the most important verses in the Sermon on the Mount. Without the end, this intense desire for righteousness, a person will not pursue a deeper relationship with God or try to develop the rest of the character traits Jesus describes. Foundational requirement for godly living is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Such hunger is seen in Moses, the songwriter, and the great missionary Paul. The spiritual condition of all of Christians all throughout their lives will depend on their hunger and thirst for the presence of God, the Word of God, the interaction and friendship of Christ, and companionship guidance and able to hold to the Holy Spirit, righteousness, God's power, and the return of Christ. The Christian's hunger for God and their purposes are hindered, even destroyed by the worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth, desire for temporal things, lust for life's pleasures, and fail to trust Christ and remain in a right relationship with Him. Christian loses their hunger for God and his standards, they will begin to die spiritually. For this reason, it is essential that we be sensitive and responsive to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and consciousness, keeping us away from evil and drawing us closer to God. In today's Bible readings are Exodus 10.1-12.13. Matthew 20, 1 through 28, Psalm 25, 1 through 15, and Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. 
But evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Each who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you do the work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. But I don't have, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. It's Matthew 21 through 16. So in Jewish parables, authority figures like a wealthy land owner typically represented God, and in Aronius was the wage for a day's work in the first century A.D. And since those who worked only one hour received Aronius, in other words, a full day's wage, the hours expected to be paid proportionally, in other words, one Aronius per hour of work. However, when their turn at the pay table came, they received the same wages as those who had only worked for one hour. Led that which led them to protest. By now, you should have figured out that the workers had no right to protest their pay, since their wage was the normally accepted sum, and more importantly, because they had to, they had worked for the wage they were given in the. They had. They were paid for. They were given the wage. They were paid the wage that they were supposed to get in the first place. So just as the landowner was free to dispense his wealth as he saw fit, God is free to dispense his grace as he determines. The first workers hired represent people who consider themselves to be of great importance to God. Like the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, 16-26, which was part of yesterday's Passage for today, 
which occurs almost immediately after Jesus told this illustrative story. And as you will see, the message that he was trying to convey clearly did not take hold. So Matthew 20, 20 through 28 says this, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm giving? I'm going to drink. Again, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the ruler of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus had promised in Matthew 19, 28-29, that his disciples would sit on twelve thrones over Israel in the renewal of all things. James and John now sought through their mother to gain prominence over their fellows. You must remember that along with Peter, James and John were members of Jesus' inner circle. And because Jesus had rebuked Peter in Matthew 16, 23, they may have aspired to usurp Peter's position of prominence as well. The cup that Jesus is talking about here is a metaphor for suffering. Jesus' question probed the disciples' willingness to suffer for him like he would suffer for them. If you remember the parable in Matthew 20, 20 verses 1 through 16, demonstrated that the Father distributes rewards as he chooses, not according to merit. And Jesus confirmed here again the principle of the Father's freedom to determine who will enjoy heaven's greatest blessings. And now we come to the crux of today's passage. If you remember, we said that the parable we started out with went against three wrong attitudes. Those attitudes were feeling superior because of a privileged position, assignment, or opportunity. The failure to share God's concern and generous grace to all, and being envious of the spiritual blessings of others. Hopefully you will have by now picked up that all three of those wrong attitudes were present in the disciples in this passage. And this competition between the disciples exposed their pride. Jesus called his disciples to the same humble servitude that he modeled, the ultimate expression of his humility was his own sacrificial death that served as a ransom for believers. So to wrap all this up, Jesus on top of warning against the three wrong attitudes, he is also teaching us two very important 
lessons. The first is that in this world, those with the highest and most influential positions often lord it over others. However, <coughs> in God's kingdom, greatness is not measured by authority over others, but by serving people and putting others above self. We as believers must not try to reach the top nor to achieve power and influence over others. We must remember that the greatest influence comes from humility and service. And for this reason, we as Christians must look for ways to help and benefit others. Working for the spiritual good of all people. And the second and the last thing Jesus is teaching us is this. A ransom is a price paid to obtain freedom for others. And as part of God's plan to restore his relationship with people that have been broken by their sin. Jesus gave his own perfect life to pay the penalty for all humankind's offenses against God. Christ's sacrifice secured the release of men and women from sin's power and control. Those who accept Christ's sacrifice and entrust their lives to Him are freed from guilt and condemnation in sin and death. We must remember this ransom was paid for all people, and there's nothing we can do to earn it. Tomorrow's Bible readings are Genesis 12, 